Coming up, we discuss the latest coaching carousel around the NFL and how it impacts the New York football giants with Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka. And then, as we know, the Super Bowl week is upon us. We take a look at the New York football giants offseason, where this cap room can potentially go, and how many holes are there to fill on this roster, either through free agency or the draft. Can Joe Shane turn around every positional need in one offseason? We dive in next. What is good, everybody? It is OGP, the One Giant Podcast, where, of course, I'm your host, Adam Marnbrecht. You can also find me breaking down the Brooklyn Nets. Been a bit of a time over there on the Locked On Nets podcast with a Kyrie Irving trade, incoming players. Who knows what happens next? Shout out to everyone as you start to maybe roll into the live feed, usually a slow burn. Uh, Nikki, welcome in. We need superstars. All right. All right, I'll take that into account as we dive into this here. Said a couple just it's not really too much news and notes around the coaching staff, short of saying that both Mike Kafka and Wink Martindale still remain in these conversations. Martindale may be the leading candidate there uh, for that Colts position. And then Kafka's among some names here. Looks like Arizona's going in the way of Brian Flores. Okay, that's fine. But what does it mean maybe in the long term, right? You get another season out of this, it'd be nice. I think we all feel pretty good about having Brian uh, Dable at the helm should we lose anybody. But as we head into the Super Bowl week, there's something that we want to start doing uh, when it comes into looking ahead to the offseason, free agency, the draft, and just doing a bit of a table setter here. And there's going to be a lot of things. If you follow, uh, I've not been doing any work at all over on Substack, but if you go over and look me up with Adam Armbrecht as your search, you're going to start to find me laying out some of those targets when it comes to the draft for the Giants. Going to start to put together those boards when it, when it talks about from the first round all the way down to the seventh, who are three or four names at every key position of need for the Giants that I think Big Blue and Joe Shane should be looking at. So be sure to go do that as well, because that's going to start ramping up over these next couple of weeks. But in the short term, I wanted to go ahead and just take a look at this roster as it currently stands Kind of push aside some of the obvious things, the Daniel Jones situation, the Saquon Barkley situation, their contracts. Listen, when they happen, they happen, or when they don't potentially with Saquon, um, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But there are some interesting factors here when we think about Joe Shane and what he's going to want to try to accomplish in the upcoming offseason. So the first thing to note is that the Giants, as we know, or if you don't know, have $44 million in cap room, just north, 44.4. But... There are a couple of significant moves that can get made here that are going to change how much the capital they actually have to work with. The first biggest one or the one that we all are waiting for is the Kenny Galladay, right? 21.4 million. Now it's 4.7 in dead cap if you cut them, but that does mean creating additional relief for Joe Shane to work with. The other big name is Leonard Williams and that $32.2 million cap hit. How can you move the needle here, right? What can it look like if, you're able to bring that number down significantly and keep them or, and I think this is maybe the less likely of the two, but there is a world where maybe Leonard Williams is not on this roster next season. If you can reduce it, extend it and potentially move them onto a team that's willing to take on that larger salary over the next couple of seasons. 
those two moves alone, those two big decisions are going to shift how much capital that Joe Shane and the Giants have to work with. Now, if we look at the current $44.4 million in cap room and combine it with two guys we're not going to talk a ton about, but we will acknowledge in this moment, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. If you go over to Spot Track, listen, do I think that the little north of $26 million uh, per season on Daniel Jones is the market value? That can be what the average perceived market value is, but we know that the cap has gone up. We know there's other quarterbacks that are going to be coming up for contracts over the next few seasons. So do I think that number is going to be closer to 30 plus? Yes, I do. But that combined with like a Saquon Barkley number at 12.3, even if we just take those numbers at face value, you're going to be talking about 38, 39, let's just call it 40 million in cap room that you're going to occupy between those two players. So effectively, your cap room is gone by taking care of the guy you believe is your franchise quarterback and the running back who represents, obviously, a high-level uh, weapon in the backfield, a game-changing player, someone that you can lean on as he proved this season for big stretches if necessary. So, okay, the, the cap room is occupied. Make these other two moves when it comes to Kenny Galladay and Leonard Williams. All of a sudden, you do at least open up the possibility of some free agency moves that you can make. The other big thing here when we talk about the giant situation right now is just running down the list of where free agency sits. So beyond those two big players uh, in Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, some of the obvious ones are just the ones that really stand out to you because of the conversations that have happened this year. Julian love. We know that they tried to negotiate, couldn't quite get there. His market value is set around 8 million. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Darius Slayton, another guy up for free agency, his market value is set at three and a half million. And I, there is a world where it, you know, there's no reason to move off of a player who, while he's not the perfect version of what you want, he certainly represents a viable wide receiver that can be a part of your rotation. And we'll dive into positions here a little bit more when we discuss how many holes, how many glaring starting holes, how many backup key contributor roles are open on this roster, and how much can Joe Shane fill. But the other names that are really worth noting is Richie James, simply because he was productive. He was in that group of players. You also have to add in Oshane Ximenez, had some injuries, but he filled in admirably when Aziz Ojolari was dealing with some of his issues as well. Matt Breida is also a free agent. Thought we would have seen more of him. We didn't. He's going to be 28 years old. Wouldn't anticipate him back, but it certainly opens up a question mark in that backfield. And then beyond, say, a Nick Williams and a Justin Ellis who filled in at times, but they're on the older side, so wouldn't anticipate them being back anyway. Nick Gates and John Feliciano um, are the two names that really jump out here as well because they're both free agents. Feliciano, okay, not great. Nick Gates coming back from injury, okay, not great. I wouldn't be disgusted with either of them coming back, but I don't think it necessarily answers a need in a significant enough way where you would go into the regular season saying we've solved that problem. Sterling Shepard, other name to throw in here, obviously in the wide receiver room, by the way, that means that you've added up now to three kind of significant names in that wide receiver room, as far as what the giants need to do here um, that were, whether this season or over the last couple of seasons in Shepard's case, contributors, key contributors to this roster and roles that you're going to need to fill in. So there are a lot like there are a lot of areas that are going to start to open up here in a pretty big way. And to put it in context when it comes to free agency and making some of these decisions around a Leonard Williams and a Kenny Galladay. If you occupy the certain money with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, okay, that's step 1. Shout out to JR over there. 
uh, Salazar. What's good, man? Happy to have you in. So you occupy that money on the two big names, and then you free up capital for free agency. There was a good um, a Sports Illustrator article that came out discussing potential targets in free agency for the New York football giants. And one of the things we didn't list inside of the impending free agents are linebackers. That's because the Giants don't really have any linebackers, though Ward is among the uh, free agents, veteran free agents for the Giants as well. The Giants don't have anybody. Even if they were listed on there, it wouldn't be anyone of substance. Now we know Darian Beavers was drafted, suffers the injury. We expect him back very high on what he can be capable of. But we know it's a key area of need. So the Sports Illustrated, uh, spills, uh, excuse me, Sports Illustrated article, get me a little tongue-tied there, which was written up. I want to make sure I give the credit. Oh, it's going to be uh, Patricia Trana, uh, obviously, of um, the Locked On Giants podcast. Uh, so she's um, a fantastic cover of the, of the New York Giants football team um, and a fellow Locked On member with me over there, obviously doing the NBA side of stuff with the Nets. But she pointed out a couple of names, one of which being someone who has ties to the New York football Giants now in Joe Shane and Dable, at least, in the fact that he was there on the coaching staff. And that's going to be one Tremaine Edmonds from the Buffalo Bills. So we know the Buffalo Bills are going to have a lot of decisions they have to make this offseason. What are things going to look like for them? And how do they just get that little extra step going forward here? Um, if a guy like Edmonds were to get to market, so there's a couple of angles to this. First, there's the, the great things that you like about it and what it represents for the Giants. He forced an incompletion rate on 15% of pass targets and coverage. He has that ability in him, something the Giants have not had at the linebacking core. And he also led the Bills uh, in not only that category, but was second in stops behind only Matt Milano. So it's interesting that he's had over 100 tackles in all five of his NFL seasons. That matters certainly in a big way. But the one concern that I would bring up here around Tremaine Edmonds is that when you go inside of his reps, going from 2018 through this season, he's had 91, 94, nearly 95%, 86, 82, 71 this year because he missed time uh, with injury. But, but there is some reservation around the fact that you, you could have some low-level injury concern around this player. Now, if you're the Giants and you can get a guy like this, it kind of doesn't matter because... You don't even have in the best version of anyone, someone that could play at his level. He would solve a need. I find it interesting that if we go over and look at his market value, it comes up in the $11 million range, which would seem low to me. Um, and just because if you're talking about market value and getting into a real conversation where got, or teams that have that need at that spot are going to be willing to pay and maybe overpay. But, this is the two-part question for the Giants. And I'm only using a guy like uh, Tremaine Edmonds, like also, by the way, TJ Edwards from the Eagles, who will be playing in this Super Bowl coming up, a little bit older. You talk about uh, Tremaine Edmonds. It's a guy that's going to be in the prime of his career. Um, you're going to be getting the best of him, 24, 25 years old. A little bit older when it comes to TJ Edwards, who he'll be 26, going on 27 next season. Has had a lot of success, though, and has played, again, Appeared in 12 games, all 17 games in 2021. Um, games available, excuse me, 16 games played, but only pre performed on 61% of the snaps. So again, like this is a guy that, yes, has played well, but where's his market value going to be? If you are bringing back Saquon Barkley, then you're creating a potential issue around a move like this because you can make decisions on Leonard Williams and Kenny Galladay. 
But if you already occupy all the existing current draft capital right now, or excuse me, cap space right now on Jones and on Saquon Barkley, then you need to make that next move in order to, let's say, open it up for a linebacker of Edmonds caliber, somewhere in the, let's just say, 11 to $13 million a year range. Okay, but you need to open that up. And we know when you go into the season, you need to have draft money to be able to sign your, your draft class. You also want to go in with some operating money, something close to $10 million if you can, going into the regular season. So the Giants are going to need somewhere between $15, 20000000 million to you know, be operating into the draft and coming out of it and going into the regular season, which means you have to create an additional pocket of money if you want to go to free agency. We'll talk more about different guys in free agency from every possible level of it. But I thought the linebacker was a good position to reference because it's a glaring need that the Giants have. And I thought it was a good position, uh, a good talking point to reference because the Giants, when we look at their roster and see their needs, free agency this offseason, depending on how things go with Saquon and Daniel Jones and the Kenny Galladay, Leonard Williams decisions, is going to greatly impact and maybe make this offseason look similar to last year. What do the Giants do? One big quote, splash in signing Glowinski to help us try to stabilize that offensive line. That's great, but that was basically all you could do. The, the, it's murky about how far the Giants will be able to move the free agent needle here, depending on other decisions. Now, additionally, this is why that kind of conversation, when we turn our attention back to Julian Love and say $8 million, really hard to see that being a, a scenario. And at a minimum, let's say at a minimum, that you jettison Kenny Galladay and you greatly reduce the cap hit of Leonard Williams. And let's just say you, you end up with an additional 20 to 25 million of cap room for all the moves that you can make 25 million with everything you do. If you bring back Julian Love at 8 million, now you're down to 17 or so. If you bring back Darius Slayton, and I'm not saying you have to, but we understand it's certainly a possibility. And I think for the right price, it can make sense. Those two moves alone could be 12 or 13 million. So now you're right back down to basically your operating cost that you want to have for the draft and going into the season. If you want to go out and get that one linebacker, you can go do it, but you're going to have to, once again, find a way to facilitate additional money off the books. Other guys, when we just talk about from a number standpoint, we talk about the highest paid players right now. You can go inside and you can look at, you know, a Darnay Holmes going to be 3 million. You could certainly decide to make a move off of him, depending on what you do. But after that, there's not a lot of big money on the books, man. Like the Leonard Williams 32 is enormous. The 21 for God is enormous. 19 for a Dory Jackson, which is an interesting one because we, we talked about this, I think, uh, last week that a Dory Jackson and saying, well, it's a big cap hit. Where is this franchise currently? Really hard to consider the idea of moving off of a Dory Jackson, given how fluid your secondary is right now outside of your safety position. But when you look at his contract and know that going into next season where he's going to end up having the cap hit of $12 million effectively, sorry, $19 million cap hit, a dead cap of $10 million if you were to cut him, and then the yearly cash would be $12 million. But what I would find interesting at 28 years old is he doesn't have anything. There's an out um, to get out of this one going forward on the four-year deal. So you could look and say... Do we want to extend, right? The potential out is 2023, the two-year, $26 million with $10 million dead cap. So that's their choice, to take the $10 million dead cap and clear that away. It does make it interesting. There's certainly a conversation to be had. My other thought would be, 
Do you try to tack on another year or two? Do you try to give him something else in terms of extending the 19 million over another two years, take him until he's 30 and maybe increase it? I don't know because right now in this moment, you can make a really strong case that a Dory Jackson would have high level value for championship level teams on the market. There's probably something there worth talking about a little bit deeper. And if the Giants were to explore something like that, then all of a sudden the cap becomes a, a very different scenario and one that from an off-season free agent standpoint, we'd have to re-examine what Joe Shane can try to attack. Now, the other thing that I wanted to do here, and I did this the other day, I sat down and I just I looked at the roster and I said, when we roll through offense and defense, how many holes do we find? Of, and what ones are significant, right? So we assume that Daniel Jones is back. Now, even if Saquon Barkley is back, you still look at it and say free agent Matt Breida, Gary Brightwell. We know that we have Corbin signed to a futures contract. Love to see him get the opportunity, but nothing guaranteed there. At a minimum, you're going to need to add a running back. There's a world where Barkley's gone and you're adding two. But you need to at least add one. Wide receiver, I'm going to sit here and tell you that even if you bring back Darius Slayton and you have Isaiah Hodgins and let's assume you jettison Kenny Galladay, even if Sterling Shepard is still around this roster with, with uh, Wandale Robinson, two wide receivers and possibly three, but at a minimum two, right? Let's go with the minimum caliber here. So now you're up to three. You look at the tight end position, doesn't matter. You're going to need something there, whether it's through the draft or otherwise. You want to bring in another thing that's kind of a, a sure bet. Nick Vanette, I don't know if that's the answer. I do like Lawrence Cager, and I think if you can have him be in the mix there, he gives you obviously the receiving tight end threat that can be interesting if it's still the Mike Kafka system, even if it's the Brian Dable system. But a tight end, now you're up to four. When we get into the offensive line, you know you're going to need backups. Let's stay away from that for right now. But in my opinion, when you look through left guard, center, and right guard, we know that we're hoping that Joshua Zudu emerges as one of the players that takes over, preferably the left guard where we saw him get some reps. I don't like the idea of going into the season with Nick Gates or John Feliciano as the assumed starting center. I, I want the official move to get made, can be through free agency, can be through the draft. You need to go and get the guy that is locked into that position as your starter going forward for the next 10 years. We, we can't keep having the carousel. So you know you need a center and at least one other offensive lineman. And like these are two of, of significant, right? So all these things that I'm listing are the significant needs at a minimum that you that you have to have, right? At least two wide receivers, at least one tight end, at least one more running back, at least two offensive linemen. That gets you up to seven. And I can push you to eight depending on how you look at certain things and saying at a minimum, but these are have to haves if you want to be an improved roster going into next season. And the draft is a key component of this. Flip it over to the defensive side. From a defensive front standpoint, even if you still have Leonard Williams and you have Dexter Lawrence, we know they got DJ Davidson as well. You got to add in at least one more, at a minimum, one more. Edge outside, you know, edge rushers, line outside linebackers have to add one, probably two but a minimum one to help supplement what you do. And you can think about other players that have been there, obviously, uh, you know, players that you can think about uh, Ocean Eximus, free agent, but you have Ellerson Smith who was injured the year prior, came back, got injured again. Is there any chance that he's going to be, have the opportunity to showcase that he can be a contributor here, but then you go on the inside of this linebacking core, you need at least two at a minimum. You're going to need two. even if Darian Beavers comes back, 
You're not going out there with uh, Jalen Smith. You can like Micah McFadden. You can say that he's going to be a starter. We didn't see the full, I think, ability to say, yeah, lock him in. He can be a contributor, but you need at least two linebackers in there, one of which needs to be a high-level starting caliber linebacker. So at that point already, defensive lineman, an edge rusher, these are the minimum needs. Two linebackers, we're already up to four. And then you get into the into the uh, secondary where you say, have to have at least probably two cornerbacks. Because no matter what you feel, even about uh, Cordell Flott, it's not just a one-to-one that you plug him automatically on the outside as the starter. Denarney Holmes was not nearly good enough this year. You still need to have the depth. And then we can leave the safety position alone if we want to. And remember, Moreau is going to be a free agent as well. Tony Jefferson as well. So decisions to get made. You feel comfortable. Maybe Pinnock comes back, right? And there's plenty of options that we can talk about guys that could return here. Um, and you have Dane Belt and Xavier McKinney. That's the new tandem on the back end of this defense. But now I'm up to five. Like minimum on offense and defense is four per side, eight. And I can push it all the way as high as seven or eight on each side of the ball too. You're talking eight to 15 players. But the minimum number of eight of must-have players. Like, I'm not talking about, hey, it'd be nice to have. You need a legitimate starting inside linebacker to pair with McFadden, with Beavers, who I'm high on, but he's a later-round draft pick. You need it. And then you need another one as a supplemental. Let's recreate this four-man group that we think can be a weapon for us as opposed to a detriment. So you need two of those. Not like to have, need them. Edge rusher, same thing. If Ocean Ximenez is gone, Ellerson Smith, injuries, can't trust it, can't rely on it. You need at least one. Probably you need at least two because you need this rotational cast. You need to safeguard against future injuries for Aziz Ojolari, who hasn't been able to stay healthy and on the field. If you don't check these boxes in substantial ways, then you're still going to need to be building towards it. And it just is that global view, that bird's eye view of saying, this is not a team that you can automatically say, go into the draft, fill it out, and we're going to be the same 9-10 win team that we saw this past season. Remember, the Giants came in at six and a half point was the over-under on their wins. They got pat, they got over that, right? Getting to seven would have been nice, getting to eight, getting to nine, great. But the margin between 10 and eight wins on a season, it is not that wide. And I, I just think there needs to be some preparation for it's going to be difficult to do it all in one shot. Now, we talk about the Giants' draft capital. First round pick, second round pick, two third round picks, fourth round, fifth round. I think they have multiple sevens, and then they have their sixth in there as well. So now you're starting to say, we need to identify how we need to allocate our draft capital. If we assume that in retaining Daniel Jones and let's say one other player, whoever it may be, right, spending another $10 million or so to keep guys in-house, and let's let's assume it's Saquon Barkley. But if you assume it's those two players, the draft becomes the key to success here, as it is for most teams. But it's even more critical for the Giants. So you need a wide receiver. We get it. It's interesting. The Giants are going to miss the first couple. Again, that's why I say go over, get uh, get subscribed there to the Substack. Just provide your email. Simple as that. You'll get alerts when those start going up. And we'll discuss some of those key names on the podcast as well but I'll flesh them out in a little more detail. And that's going to be a rolling list that every couple of weeks I'll be updating, slotting players a little bit higher because I'm going to go through and continue to watch them. But when you go look at wide receivers in the draft class, there's guys you're going to miss out on because they're going to go somewhere in the top 15, top 20. 
There's a couple of players that could fall to the Giants when you get into that mid-20 pick. But then after that, there is a little bit of this gap. But you know you need it. Okay, so is it wide receiver? Fine. What happens in free agency then dictates what happens in the second round. Because I can make a very strong case that interior offensive line becomes a huge need, specifically center. I can make the case that that second round pick, again, depending on free agency, you're going to be as locked into that or inside linebacker as anything else that you're going to put on the board here. But in those first, I said first, second round, and then I take the two third round picks as well. And we know it's compensatory, so it's all it's all back end. But out of those first four picks in the draft for the Giants, they got to have two surefire starters. And obviously you expect the number one, the first round pick to be that. You expect the second round pick to be there, but maybe it's a little bit of development. But you have to hit then on a third round guy. And I tiered it out in that way of through rounds one through four, I need two legitimate day one starters. I don't care where you hit on them. I just need you to have them. And then you think about, you can almost say, well, the compensatory third plus the fourth and the fifth round. In those three rounds, I need to get or you know the late third and then the fourth and the fifth round. I need one more starter out of that. Then I also need at least one high-level contributing depth piece. And this is when you think about edge rusher, outside linebacker, maybe another inside linebacker. Maybe you look at the cornerback position. You obviously then can go back into the offensive side and talk about wide receiver and say, hey, when are we going to dip our toe back into those waters again to make sure that we're filling out this wide receiver core successfully? And then the back end. I, I think... The sixth and seventh rounders, I got to get at least one depth contributor out of it. And, and the point that I'm, the whole point to make here is like, it's still right on the edge of what we're going to think about this team can accomplish in the upcoming season. Remember, they got absolutely destroyed inside of the division, right? Tied and beat the Washington Commanders and then got beat everywhere else. So if we're talking about competing with the Dallas Cowboys, with the Philadelphia Eagles, it is about filling the specific needs that you have on this roster and also understanding it is not going to be a cakewalk here. Remember I mentioned about the giants draft and this roster. So Darian Beavers, a guy we were high on injured, right? DJ Davidson took a while to even sniff it. Micah McFadden slowly developed along and showed some flashes as the season moved through leaving off the biggest name that we could have mentioned here, obviously on the offensive side in Evan Neal side note, a lot of people are already saying kick Evan Neal inside to play guard. I, you know, I know that we can go back and look at the way Andrew Thomas performed the ratings talk about like, it's very similar struggled in his rookie year. Also had some injuries. Evan Neal had some injuries. He struggled in his rookie year. It is way too early to start talking about giving up on Evan Neal as a starting tackle for your franchise. So you got to really push back hard on that, but he does need to show it. Likewise, on the offensive side, Wondell Robinson in the small glimpses we got, we love what we saw, but he's also a guy that was hurt significantly in his rookie year. So Cordell Flock coming on, Dane Belton starting some flashes, right? But that was a draft class in totality that when you looked at it, you got excited about certain players. Kayvon Thibodeau, I'm leaving the top two guys off this conversation just because there's automatic expectations when you're top 10 draft picks. What did we get that was guaranteed? And then roll it back to the year prior and talk about Aziz Ojolari and his injuries, right? It's just, it's a rolling evaluation. I think we expected a lot more probably this year from Xavier McKinney, the injury aside. 
I think we, you know, wanted to see that next really big step. I think that he's going to get there, but it's, it's a development. It's an evolution. So you can't go into the off season and saying, well, let's just assume that Darian Beavers comes back and he's great. That Cordell Flott locks in and he's a guy you can guarantee that Dane Belton is the perfect tandem with Xavier McKinney. And it works out that, Evan Neal totally figures it out that, you know, that we get the right guy in free agency to plug a couple of these key needs that we don't suffer any injuries. So there's still a lot of work that this team is going to need to do. And I'm not saying that negatively because there's a lot of talented players in this draft class, but I just, it's worth reminding everybody that the start of this past season was the start of the rebuild. Ignore what you saw in the win and loss columns and just think about the development. Right. If you love Daniel Jones, you still know offensive line, bad rankings in a lot of key categories, wide receiver group, not a ton of weapons there, not a lot of consistency. Right. You look over defensively. Great. We love some of what we saw from certain players, but overall, the defense was okay. So, what's going to happen going forward here? And a lot of the things that stabilize both sides of the ball were guys that may not be a part of this team because they were flyers off the street to help put band-aids on it. It's not a negative. It's such a compliment to Joe Shane and to Brian Dable and Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka to achieve what they've done. But it's also important to remember what they're going to have to continue to do. Bry over in the chat, we have many positions that need major upgrade. Therefore, as long as JS fills day one, Joe Shane, obviously day one and two picks at those positions, I'll be happy. I do want a rookie QB pick on day three to start development. Not, and you know what? Um, First of all, it's, it's the right perspective, right? Those first two days of the draft, check the boxes. Check the boxes, right? And that's why I said four picks. I need at least two day one lock-in starters. And then I need one other guy out of those first four picks to be able to say, hey, we're hearing, we're seeing, the buzz is there in camp to suggest this player can take that step for us. Um, interesting your comment about the QB situation. I'm still very fascinated around what this contract ends up looking like. And what that tells us about how the organization feels. So like my assumption has been, if the Giants are bringing back Daniel Jones, he's going to want the long-term deal. I'm the franchise quarterback, figure out the number, but I'm the franchise guy. This is the six-year contract. Now, on the one end, you could say it would behoove him to take the short-term deal because then he can re-up himself in just two or three seasons. But injury factor, right? You don't know when the payday comes. This is the right market to kind of get as much as you can. So it'll be fascinating to see how those negotiations go. And ultimately, if it's only a two or three year deal, which would surprise me to a certain extent, then I think talking about, hey, if we see a prospect that we like, yes, I do think that you should. You have to consider doing that, I should say. Not that you should, but you have to consider it. Because a two- or three-year extension for Daniel Jones means that over the next two or three years, we may learn that he's not going to be the long-term franchise quarterback. And what you don't want to do is walk down a road where you don't have the plan in place. And I do think, and we've seen this around the NFL, some young players, first-year rookie quarterbacks, they flourish. Some guys struggle the first year and then find their way in that second year, especially when they have good coaching, good teams, good schemes, good players around them. But I do think there's a little bit of this, there's a little bit of this shift back to the idea of it's not the worst thing to take a couple of years to develop a guy, if you can, if you can afford it. And it'll be interesting to see if the Giants and Joe Shane think about it like that, 
and especially Brian Dable, right? We know what he did with Josh Allen and how he helped move the needle there. We saw what he started to do with Daniel Jones this past season. Brian Dable, from a coaching perspective, is probably the most bullish on his own ability to take a talent and elevate it. And we'll talk about a couple of those prospects too when it comes to the draft. That being the case, we are going to wait to hear what happens with Wink Martindale and the Indianapolis Colts. We'll wait to hear about Mike Kafka when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals. I think my, if I had to predict something, I think maybe Wink does take that job. And I think that Kafka's back. So that's good. I, you know, one year under his belt, get another one. Like Wink Martindale has already has a well-established reputation as a defensive coordinator. So his next step is to get that head coaching gig. Uh, but for Kafka, it's your first step out into the offensive coordinator job. Why not take another year to showcase what your offense can really look like as some more weapons come in? Only further elevate your profile. We'll keep an eye on that. Um, and then and then we'll keep an eye on some key free agents. As the week rolls on, we'll talk about the, the, the Super Bowl coming up and expectations, how it'll be a pretty bitter pill to swallow if the Eagles get the championship just because they're the Eagles. And it, it's absolutely brutal when, when they win anything at all. Um, but we will take a look at those things. And then again, the two things, three things you can do. Okay. If you're watching, we I appreciate everybody that came in for this live stream. Uh, have a little conversation here. Shout out to Tuto. If he's still in the room, he was here well ahead of the start of this one. Um, greetings from Princeton. Okay. Down just, you're out just a little bit out West of me out there in Princeton, man. Good to always see you in here. The three things you can do is subscribe to the YouTube channel, turn on the alerts. So you know, when we're going live, you know, when episodes are dropping. It really, it, it means the world to us. We're pushing towards 2000. Help us do that over the course of this off season. That's a big box that we're really excited to check. You can also go over the podcast feed and you can subscribe over there. That's awesome. And then that third thing, I've already mentioned it a couple of times, but I'll just hammer this one home for you. The sub stack, go over, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, the Adam adam.armbrecht uh, at sub stack. You can go search me, find me, sign up for that because you're going to see it coming up here in the next couple of days, you're going to see me give you my wide receiver list. And it's going to involve the top, say four guys that I like right now, maybe even five. You're going to see the top linebackers that I'm really interested in. And then I think I'm going to go with offensive linemen to start interior offensive linemen. So those will probably be the first three positions that I tap into here as we get rolling. But like I said, It'll go through where they are on multiple draft boards. What are the things that I like or don't like about them? Do I think that they can move up the draft board as we get into the offseason and to combines and all of those things? That's going to be um, something that I've really enjoyed doing in the past. And, you know, I've talked about guys like um, Amon Ross St. Brown, who I loved in the draft and said he was worthy of being taken higher. You go and see what he did in Detroit. You can really like that. I have misses all throughout the stuff as well. But Darian Beavers was a guy I thought the Giants should go and target. They get him. That really moves the needle for me when I look at what they accomplished there. So go do those things if you can for us. It really means the world. This will mark the end of the official episode, but I'm going to stick around because I'm seeing some good comments here. Um, this will go up on the podcast feed, and then obviously we'll continue to have this conversation. And as always, as we would want, need, and nay, demand you the people know, let's go Big Blue. Okay, so I'm just going to extend it here because I'm seeing some people dump, jumped in here. Bry, love Kafka, but I find it very hard to believe he's ready for a head coaching job. Yeah, and that's I think that's a big part of it. It's just, and again, the fact that he's a finalist for Arizona, a team that's had so much issues and trying to figure themselves out. You know, you didn't hear him get mentioned in some higher profile opportunities. He was, he did go for the first initial interview 
um, for the Colts job, but then Wink Martindale, veteran, experienced guy, right? So he ends up um, becoming the front runner for that gig. Robert, what is up? Thanks for coming in. On offense, the Giants must have a center, two wide receivers, a tight end. So you're talking about, so you're listing it as you've got uh, four, four players that you think would be key there. On defense, inside linebacker, corner, maybe a safety. Would you have any idea what a Zudu's injury status is? It was a neck injury. Yeah. And that's, so that's the other factor in this, right? His injury, which gives me flashbacks like Daniel Jones and his neck injury, right? And that seemed to have gotten put well into the rear view. Thank goodness for him and for the Giants. But yeah, that is a little bit of a, that. That's certainly an area they have to look at. And that's why I say the interior offensive line is critical. I wasn't enamored of what I saw from Glowinski. I don't love the idea of going in with Feliciano or Nick Gates as my starting center. I don't mind Nick Gates or Feliciano as a rotational backup on the interior, but I want someone else plugged in there at center. And then I probably need to think about, hey, an extra guard there, right? So give me a guy that I think can plug and play center. Then give me a guard that can compete, maybe ends up getting the job. Because one thing we learned after Shane Lemieux returned from injury is the guy ain't got it. For all the way that we talked about him and the way the staff talked about him, when he got plugged back in there, maybe he was just getting back from the injury. It did not look pretty by a large uh, margin, not to mention a guy like Matt Pert, right? Holdovers from the previous regime. Guys we had hopes for, this offseason becomes critical for them as well. So that's going to be interesting. Um, I don't mind. Yeah, the safety one is interesting to me. I think, you know, I mean, and if you're talking about sixth or seventh round in the draft or just a veteran guy bringing back a pinnick, like that, that type of thing is fine. But I do think you look at it, or at least we, I look at it and say, Xavier McKinney, Dane Belton, that, you know, there you go. Like, I love what we have sitting back there in this, uh, in this system. And now it will be about getting some depth there, obviously, but it'll be further down my needs list. Uh, Tommy Wink leaving is fine. He didn't press man enough. Dable and Joe will put together a great team. Yeah, and the one note just on, and I'll even touch on, because um, I know you're, you're going on to say, Tommy, should have had players crash down on Hurst, uh, Hurst every single play, action, and RPO, press the receivers. The only thing that I'm going to tell you about, and it, it doesn't matter. I need not defend Wink Martindale. It is what it is. However, when you come into a season and you have a Dory Jackson, you think that you're going to have uh, Aaron Robinson on the other side. He goes down with an injury. You think that maybe Rodarius Williams is going to show you something. He doesn't really give you anything. You think that Darnay Holmes showed you things in camp that he's going to take a step forward. He did not actually look like he probably regressed this year. And then you have young players like a Cordell Flott. You're going out and getting Moreau. You're going out and getting Pinnock. You're getting Tony Jefferson. You're scrambling, right? You're doing a lot of scrambling to fill those needs it does impact your ability to have success defensively. And then you go on the inside, the interior linebacker position, right? No coverage ability inside of there either. So those things matter. I do, And it's funny because the, the chicken or the egg is, well, do you wait until you have the personnel or do you play the system and allow the results to be that way? I would say one of the things that I think impacted the way the defense was run was the fact that this team was winning games. Because once you start winning games, then you are trying to play a little bit safe on the defensive side of the ball when you feel like, hey, we're in these ones. We can't necessarily go all out. We can't necessarily try to bring the house because the risk-reward of those plays were going to be a little bit different. But I agree with you. Losing Wing Martindale is not the end of the world for me. Um, do I think that it was more Kafka uh, than Brian Dable on calling plays or a mix of both? Probably uh, Sir Snowy. 
probably a mix a mix of both. It looked like early in the year, it was talked about that the communication between Dable up to Kafka, uh, you know, on the sidelines there. A lot of the conversation was, hey, I want to see some more Saquon Barkley here. Want to really establish the run here. So my impression would be that Kafka was setting and, and running the offensive scheme, but that and probably wanted to push to open it up more, to do more, regardless of personnel. Okay, no Wandale, it's going to be Richie James, fine. We still want to spread this thing out, right? We want to be dynamic on the offensive side of the ball. And a bit of it probably came from Dable as the head coach, and rightfully so, saying, hey, we got to kind of rein this thing in. We cannot go all out here because we don't have the offensive line stability and we don't have the weapons and we don't have the consistency yet, right? So I'm, I'm sure there was a bit of reining it in there. I, I like Mike Kafka as a play caller. It, it is worth like remembering, right? He he was behind the enemy out in Kansas City. So it's his first big elevation. So it's not a, um, you don't just give the accolades and say, hey, this is what it was and how do we feel about it? what do they accomplish? Whether Dable or um, Kafka, I can also at times critique what I felt like were some blase play calling decisions, right? Um, and opponent, you know, game to game scenarios play a factor in it. But there were times when I thought, boy, there's, there's, you know, seven to 10% of this playbook that I could really do without. And again, I think that's more predicated on um, personnel than it was on ability or play calling. Our coaching staff, back from Tommy here. Oh, wait, uh, Bryce. So you hopped in there. Receivers and inside O-line are a must, but so is a D-line guy, nose tackle or tackle, and a tough linebacker who can play the pass and run reps with authority. Yeah, um, and that's that's what it is, right? Whatever Glowinski was as a player, that was the, hey, this is one thing we want to do. We want to. And by the way, frankly, it did check the box. It wasn't great but it was consistent enough. And that's what Joe Shane looked to accomplish when he signed Glowinski. Likewise, I think you want to aim a little bit higher profile in this offseason, but you got to identify one and say, we need to go do this. And to your point, um, on the defensive side, again, there are a lot of things that you need to figure out when it comes to that interior, the up the gut. You love Dexter Lawrence. Is Leonard Williams had some injuries this year? What, what are the expectations there? And I, the coverage linebacker is something that is critical to this team to have success. But again, an all-around linebacker, wouldn't that be nice for all the historic players that have come through the middle of this defense in this franchise's history? How about a stud linebacker that can do it all? Um, let's roll here through a couple more comments. Um, our coaching did an amazing job with lemons and Elmer's glue. I like that. I don't know if those things would bind together or not, but we can certainly give it a shot. Um, but our situational play calling disappeared second half of the season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like, and, that, and that's, I think, just a reality here. Uh, Robert saying he'd rather see Wink return while I have nothing against Kafka, and he was limited. Wink has a positive experience. Yeah, and the other thing is, too, um, obviously, this is why, and this is kind of universal around the NFL, you can hire a defensive head coach. There's nothing wrong with that. But like we're seeing across town, across stadium with the Jets, Robert Sala seems like everyone likes him, loves what he does, likes what he's doing on the defensive side but you need that offensive mind to run your offensive scheme. And if you move on from that, which they did, and bring in someone new, which they did, now, and who cares about Aaron Rodgers and all that nonsense, but the point being is now it's a new system to learn. If Mike Kafka walks away, the construct of the system, the bones of the system, that get that to me, to go back to that previous question, that's set by Brian Dable, right? 
And then everything, okay, it maneuvers inside of it. But an offensive mind, now as the head coach, delegating responsibilities to his OC. If the OC walks, I have all the confidence in the world that Brian Dable is going to be able to get the job done. Um, Listen, I, and then we say Wink definitely got another Wink definitely over Kafka in terms of who you would want back. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's probably fair. I think my confidence in Joe Shane and Brian Dable is high enough that I'm not going to sweat who or who isn't back on the coaching staff, though I would prefer not to lose both of them in one offseason. I would prefer to be, maybe it is Kafka this year, but I mean, I prefer to be one this season than one next offseason so that you can figure out who on your staff currently do you feel like is worthy of, of taking that next step up. And I would hate to see if it's an internal promotion, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'd hate to see taking a guy who was maybe a you know lower level positional coach the year prior then became the QB coach and now becomes the OC. You'd like to have a little bit of that growth. Likewise for Kafka, if he's going to get a head coaching gig, you'd like to have a little bit of that growth. Um, from Bryce, do you really believe Wink or Kafka will actually leave the Giants? So the two sides of it are, and Andy brought this up um, last time. Do I really think so? Well, okay, the short answer is on Kafka, no because I believe Brian Flores is going to be the man there in Arizona. So I don't think that that job is going to happen. Um, and do I think that Wink Martindale would leave? I think it'll come down to money. Andy brought up, you just increase his salary a little bit to retain him and keep him around here with New York. That's a smart way to do it. I've always perceived Wink Martindale to be a lifer DC, mostly because he's always been a DC. Um, but you don't get those chances to be a head coach. So like Kafka, he's got a lot of road ahead of him before, you know, he can pick and choose maybe some openings that come up over the next couple of seasons for Wink Martin. Like this may be a shot. The defense could come out and take that next step forward um, and continue to, you know, continue to grow. And then his profile will elevate. But I think, you know, when you get the opportunity, you do want to pull the trigger. Um, What else do we got in here? yeah and you mentioned too bryce just mentioning like you want to also be a part of the rise right like you want to be a part of this journey and nothing could so you know um get a couple more weapons have the defense look really stellar get that coverage linebacker only going to help wink martindale's case again i think he has plenty that he can lean on the fact that he even came and did some really positive things leaving from Baltimore, suggested, hey, he's adaptable. He's not this one-track kind of mind, although the Giants still had the highest blitz percentage in the league this past season. And then for Kafka, like, hey, you scratch the surface of Daniel Jones. We assume he gets re-signed. Why not? Why not then say, and look what happens next for him, right? You'd like to think that that's very much on the table for him. I do wonder, and this is not, you know, Brian Dable is not at this level yet. But I do wonder about Andy Reid, Kansas City, Eric Bieniemy. Bieniemy just can't seem to get out from underneath. That can't be considered legitimately for head coaching opportunities. Looks like Kafka's already starting to get some traction. But I think I wonder if that influences Kafka's approach in the sense of, hey, if I spend two years here, three years here, at what point does it become, yeah, Ryan Dable, what a genius. And, and does some of the shine come off of my start, right? So I, you're always playing with those things. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. And again, I'll be happy for all of them too. Like this isn't, um, God, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, trying to think of a scenario where it felt like, well, honestly, I was going to, you know, think back and go, Oh, well, Joe judge. Yeah. Okay. But then who, Oh, Jason Garrett. No, I didn't care about any of those coaches and who got lost or not. Patrick Graham though, was very fond of him. Right. Um, 
but go back to the end of the Coughlin era and not wanting to lose Ben McAdoo, right? Like that, that kind of thing where like, yo, boy, are we going to lose this player? Now, I don't want to be retroactive about my thinking on it at the time. Oh, that's right. I, I apologize, Percy. You know what? I completely, thanks you. Thanks for reminding me, man. The Vikings. God, what an absolute, what an absolute miss for me. I knew that information. I apologize that I didn't say it earlier. The podcast episode is going to look bad because this all the back end of this won't be in it. You're 100% right, Percy. He went to the Vikings uh, to be the DC, um, which came out. So I, hello. That, yeah, I knew it and completely, completely spaced out on it. I've had, so, I've been, um, I have been down the uh, Brooklyn Nets Kyrie Irving trade rabbit hole for the last 36 to 72 hours. It's been absolutely brutal in that way. You are 100% correct. And this, by the way, will bring me to the other thing. Um, it's the D.C. for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals that's also in the running for the head coaching job for the Cardinals. Okay. So all of the things I said about Mike Kafka and what could be good for him and smart, I, I, I still make all those sentiments. But here's one thing that I talked about um, with uh, kickoff in the Valley, Bird Gang uh, Travel Club podcast for the Arizona Cardinals, uh, Tyler Vasquez, great guy. Um, I talked about how if Kafka were to take the head coaching job, and he'll tie it back to Kansas City, a lateral move for Eric Bieniemy to join him as his OC would be fascinating because you'd be saying, I can't get out from underneath Andy Reid's shadow, but if I go and I help Mike Kafka institute a system and bring along and maybe resurrect something and be set up for when uh, Kyler Murray comes back from his injury and really show what I'm capable of, can that elevate me into a head coaching candidate? Gosh, Percy, absolute shout out to you, man. I, for some reason, I had it in the pit of my, something in my mind was like something about Brian Dable. Something's not right. Uh, Brian Flores, excuse me, is not right here. And that's exactly what it was. DC for the Minnesota Vikings. So um, Kafka is getting down to the wire. I do wonder if his track record feels as strong as someone who's been the DC for the Bengals for a handful of seasons. Um, God, that's absolutely brutal. Someone else said, uh, yeah, piss when, Bar when Parcells left. So I'll, I'll finish off. That thought that I was thinking about back in the Tom Coughlin era was like, and again, that's Tom Coughlin. The team is struggling, et cetera. And I didn't want to be retroactive in the way I thought about it then. But I do remember like at the time saying like, we're so worried about losing Ben McAdoo. And I know the, and the offense looked good and we know that, but we're so worried about him that we're going we're gonna to jettison a guy like Tom Coughlin I, you know, it's just there's a legacy there. And he, he won championships with Eli Manning. Like, there's so many of those things. Um, maybe in hindsight, I feel that way. But I thought I had that sentiment kind of a little bit at the time. And then when, and then when you know things go bad with Ben McAdoo, it's much easier to look at it in, through that lens. Um, but I think, yeah, sometimes we overhype something as opposed to putting stock in what is the most important. And right now, it's the head coach, and that's Brian Dable. Imagine fully healthy and 80% of the new players we bring in stay healthy and produce. We definitely will not lose to our division. Um, yeah, like I think the up the other, yeah, the other side of that coin of like, hey, there's always injuries, there's always different things that happen, hitting on prospects, getting the right free agents. There is a world where if this thing even goes 70 to 75% of the best case scenario this offseason, draft class free agency and otherwise, and health. 70 75%. And I think that this is a team that's scrapping and fighting for the division. I don't mean scrapping in like a in a in a you know in a disrespectful way, as in like, yeah, man, 
there's going to be those games. There's going to be a game against the Eagles. There's going to be a game against the Cowboys, right? And it's going to come down a couple key plays. Yeah, and they can be there, and they can win those games. And getting back to that thing where you say, hey, 500 at a minimum in the division and then trying to sweep a team and get that fourth win in the division, that's the goal. That's how you start your baseline for success on a season-to-season basis. Robert back in. Uh, you must be able to run the ball on offense and stop the run first on defense. The Giants couldn't do against the – I see what you did there. The um, I don't know why I was calling – I called them like the waggles for a while. I don't know why. Something about that. Felt like an insult, so I went with that. Um, yeah, and that's, that, and that's a big part of this, right? For whatever you think the personnel was, couldn't stop the run. Couldn't stop the run if your life depended on it. So – and, and I do think lot inside linebacker is critical to that success, but question mark, right? Big time question mark. So fascinating to see what these guys do over the course of this off season, man, I'm so pissed off that I forgot the Brian Flores piece. It really bothers me. Percy. It really bothers me. Um, Uh, I'm not going to go get over that one. I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to get up the floor easy on that one. Uh, anyway, again, please, please, please subscribe um, and set the alerts here on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast and also the Substack feed, man. The articles are going to start going up there. Little brief reads. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go, you know, 9,000 words on all these guys, but start to be the table setter for these things. We'll start to set free agency as well. Low cost guys. I think, you know, how do you take, we talked about this last year, and I'll leave you on this. Um, you know, what do we think the ceiling can be for this team and for these players? Okay, fine. Set that wherever you want. What we want to do is take the floor and bring it up, right? That's what you want to try to accomplish in free agent moves, draft moves. High-level ones, great. But also, how do you turn around and say, hey, remember when player X had to come in and play significant reps for us? We got to improve that. Perfect example. Jalen Smith, we got to improve that, right? Not a knock on him, but he's not a starting caliber linebacker in the NFL, yet he was serving that role for enormous chunks of the season for the New York football giants. Um, we'll see what happens here coming up over the next couple of days. We'll come back in. We'll update this conversation because if either one of these coordinators takes a head coaching job, then we'll have to figure out who's going to be calling plays on both sides of the ball under Brian Dable. Do all those great things I mentioned before. Really, really appreciate the support. People showing up, having the conversation with us. We'll be back next time, man. And we'll be talking uh, all things New York football giants. Be well.